Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Business from the Bass Boat Podcast on the Serious Angler Network. And guys, it's been a long time. We've been uh, dealing with things. Uh, the Serious Angler side have been have been guest hosting with those guys quite a bit, and have just been and so so busy work wise as well as uh, fishing. But glad to get Kurt on here. We've got Kurt Dove coming on, guys. He is someone in the industry that I've always followed because of his ability to really make a living with a lot of different revenue streams in this industry. So that's exactly what this show's about. And so I'm so pumped to get him on. Um, he's got a lot of things going. We're going to dive into all his different aspects in the fishing career, in his fishing career. So we'll go ahead and let's see if we can bring Kurt on. Kurt, how you uh, doing, man? <laughs> I'm good, Adam. I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm looking forward to uh, a good chat this evening. Um, so excited about it. I appreciate you inviting me. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, how are things your way? How's Del Rio? You've, you've been out on Amistad at all? I, I have. Uh, Del Rio is good. Um, aside from all the craziness you see on TV, I know we uh, had some spotlight in the news there. If, uh, if if you watch the news, I try to stay away from it a little bit. But uh, anyway, we had some spotlight in the news with immigration. I live down on the border, Del Rio, Texas, uh, Lake Amistad, my home lake, as you mentioned, Adam. And um, but everything is great down here, man. It's uh, it's it's warm still. We, we actually, uh, from a fishing standpoint, we really haven't clicked into that that fall feed yet. Uh, we're still kind of tweeners, right? Um, uh, water temp sixty eight to seventy two ballpark. Uh, seeing some cool nights, but the but the days, you know, we kind of have the desert feel down here at Lake Amistad, and yeah. and you get those like 25, 30 degree swings where it might be fifty at night but it's still 80 during the day um today uh you know it was still like mid to high 80s so i think we hit like 88 today and it's and it was warm yesterday as well but um you know at night it's still it's getting in the 50s actually uh last weekend it was 48 one morning so we're getting some cool nights but uh the the deal with it is that you still get that warm in during the day and uh, so the fish really haven't made that move uh, to a hard feed. They've they've definitely kind of moved to that, you know, backs of the creeks. You're seeing the obviously the shad are all over the place. I mean, they're over 80 foot of water, 100 foot of water in the in the middle of the river channel. You see white mm-hmm. bass busting on them and stuff. And and then the shad are, you know, also you'll see them backs in the backs of the pockets where 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 I want to go try to catch the bass because I think they're, you know, more susceptible and, and, and that's where, you, you know, you can kind of put yourself in a, in a, in a good position to, to locate some consistent fish rather than trying to chase a school and bass or something like that. But uh, it's been, it's been a little tough, but uh, you know, we're starting to see some more movement and as the water temp continues to de- decrease uh, it's been a warm fall. I think it's been warm all across the country. Yeah. So um hopefully you know that that fall bite will continue to increase and and uh fishing will get a little bit better but uh, it's it's still fun being out on the water if you get a windy day right now you can catch some fish up shallow it's those slick days that really test your skill and and your patience really because i just don't feel like the fish are biting really well yet because we're in that transition period for sure, for sure. Well, I was just this last week down on uh, Lake Havasu and Lake Mojave, and it was very similar weather to what you're talking about. It'd be 55 at night, and by the uh, middle of the day, it'd be 80 degrees, 88 by the afternoon, you know. Sure. And uh, very similar uh, fish were, were pretty spread out. It was a pretty tough tournament, and it had some hammers. It had Roy Hawk there, and it had 
um, Justin Kerr and some of these Western, Western hammers. Right. And, uh, it was a blast trying to figure those, those fish out. Um, they, uh, were, there was a deep bite going on. There was a shallow bite going on, just in the, nothing really locked down yet, you know? And yeah. same kind of thing. I, I felt like, uh, when we had some wind, I could go catch some fish up shallow, especially on Mojave the second right. day it blew and, and those fish, you could, you could get them to eat on the bank pretty good. So, um, man, it's very, very similar, you know, kind of a cool. desert situation. Well, we're, we're not too crazy far from that area, but we're, we're definitely a lot different than, you know, like say Fork or Rayburn and our weather patterns more uh, tend to that, you know, South Arizona feel for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Awesome, man. Well, let's go ahead and get into the show. So, um, Kurt, you know, kind of through our conversations, we talked uh, before the show just a lot about what you do. And I, I've always been, again, following your career and really sure. found out with Bass Edge, uh, Bass Edge Radio. So I'd like to start there, really. Uh, I mean, when I got into tournament bass fishing and became obsessed with this game, I wanted to learn as much as I could. And I feel like the podcasting platform is a great platform because you can be doing other things. You can be rigging tackle. You could be yeah. working you could be mowing the lawn and still have your your mind uh kind of your gears turning right absolutely uh, and that's that's where i found bassage radio is the first podcast i ever listened to not just bassage awesome. first podcast so uh man kind of an inspiration with with what i've done now with the podcasting stuff so um appreciate you uh doing that yeah, man. but let's uh let's dive in there you're you're a host on the show let's hear a little bit about how that all started for you Absolutely. Well, I, I started um, as a guest on the show. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I did. So uh, in 2007, I believe is when the podcast started. Started by Aaron Martin, who who is you know the founder of Bass Edge, which used to be a TV show. That's how the uh, podcast came into play. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody. I say everybody. Some of us had these little iPods, right? That that you could download these these podcasts and, and listen to them outside of listening to the radio or or uh, you know our phones those days they didn't they didn't have all the great mechanisms like they do today. But uh, sure. you could download a podcast on an iPod or or some other mediums, and and the podcast was actually a supplement to a television show, which. I got to give Aaron Martin a huge amount of credit. I mean, way in advance looking at, uh, you know, media outlets and, and um, ways to, you know, get uh, more involvement and in, in giving anglers what they really want. Bass Edge is an education-based podcast. We talk, a, you know, obviously we use uh, and, and recognize folks in the industry, professional anglers that are catching them. Right. So so uh, that's the first first thing that we want to do. People that have recently had success or have had sex th success throughout their career and then utilize uh, the, that information and really dive in and and ask them, you know, some of the really tough questions. Um, just like, you know, we're going to dive into industry related stuff sure, today, you know, sure. and diving into that, into the aspect of of just pure, you know, seasonal behavior patterns technique specific questions and and i love talking to these anglers because they have lots of experience and, and i've had a lot of experience on the water been in the business for a lot of years but in and really not in a platform where you can just like ask the deep dark question right mm -hmm. like anything that i can think of and, and so and aaron as well and um anyway uh it's a great 
platform for anglers that want to, you know, learn a little bit more about a technique or a time of year. And generally we talk about the behavioral patterns of the time of year when the show is present. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's, uh, that, that's kind of how it all came about. I became a co-host on the show in 2012. Uh, that podcast actually died for a little, a little while. I say died. It, it kind of was on the back burner. The show yeah. in the economic crash, 2008, 2009, the, the television show went away. Aaron kept the podcast going for a little while and, um, and then really wanted to resurrect it in a, in a, in a whole new outlet. Um, and, and that was done back in 2011, 12 timeframe. And that's when I became a co-host in it. And I, I, I don't know. I think 270 episodes or something. Wow. Um, it's on twice a month, comes on the first and the 15th of every month. So mm-hmm. that's the breakdown of, of Bass Edge. And it's been an important part of not only, um, you know, staying inside the industry and, and working inside the industry, but, you know, even to the point of selling sponsorships for the show, um, doing all the background production, similar to what you do for your, you know, for, for your show on the Sears network and, and how this stuff comes all about, you know, it just, it's not always just throwing something out there and hoping it sticks. If you have a little bit of planning and understanding and vision of what you want to provide uh, anglers and, and uh, usually it, it sticks a little bit better. So uh, that's what we try to do at Bass Edge, uh, similar to what y'all do here. And um, I enjoy doing it. Um, I, I, some, sometimes it's tough to come up with some new questions, <laughs> sure. and, uh, but you gotta be innovative. You know, that's, that's the whole process of fishing. It's not the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's kind of like, even as we're going to continue to discuss a career, you, you've got to be innovative within your career to, uh, I feel like keep it going. We're not all, um, you know, catch masters. <laughs> but so, so uh, there's a very few percentage of guys out there that can really just make a living on, on casting and, yep. and sponsor promotion. Obviously those are easy to see because they're in the classic every year in the red crest every year or in the, you know, title championship every year. And, uh, but that's probably less than about 10% of overall professional anglers. That's, that's what I call it. I call it the 10 percenters. Um, yeah. and you bring up a great point. Uh, really with this podcast and just with conversations on and off the water with, with all these different anglers, I've really Mm -hmm. learned that and have come to appreciate that and understand that, that I am probably not a 10 percenter. And, uh, those, those 10 percenters, it's the same with any other professional sport. When you look at, look at it, I mean, 10% of those, um, athletes are making, 80, 90% of the money when it comes to specific sport, right? The difference is in, uh, the NFL, you can be an 85% (laughs) and still do pretty well. That's right. Right? That's exactly right. So it's a different dynamic in the fishing world. If you're going to survive, if you look at the anglers that have been in this game for a long time, that are not the 10 percenters, it's folks like yourself that have been able to create a career around this with other things, but everything intermingles. Like you were talking about with Bass Edge Radio, having the ability to have these conversations with anglers, with other sponsors, yeah. and to bring all that in, well, this connection may come to this, and now you're with all these other things. And so so it's kind of, um, everything kind of creates, it, it works itself on a network. And I think you've done a, a great job of doing that. And I appreciate right. you giving us the kind of the background on, on Bass Edge Radio, because it's been a, yeah. a mesh thing for it, you know? It has been. It's it's been good for um, 
for my business. You know, it's, it's been good for my business. And, and I think, uh, it's, it's been a great product, you know, and, and that's why we've been able to stay around for a long time. And, and no matter what it is that you do as a part of your business or in life, um, if you don't, you know, take a good, strong stab at it and put, put the little bit extra effort and time that it takes to be successful, uh, you're going to fall off pretty quick. Um, not, not to, you know, say that, you know, anglers that have come into the bass fishing world, you, you used to see that a lot, especially in the elite series. Uh, some also in the FLW tour before it turned to, you know, MLF, but you would see that turnover um, pretty often. Right. I mean, there was maybe, I remember Pete Robbins, who's who's a writer um, for Bassmaster, did a story on uh, 10 years after the Elite Series inception and how many anglers were still there. So that was from 2006 through 2016. And it was somewhere around 50%. So you had 50% turnover ratio in a 10-year period. Now, if you take a lot of careers, especially once you get to that level of expertise, you know, at the elite series, um, that's a lot of turnover in 10 years, 50%. That's 50 anglers left of the original 100. So uh, it's, it's a pretty interesting dynamic how that turnover happens. And, and Adam, you're exactly right. If you don't uh, continue to evolve and I don't want to say reinvent yourself as an angler uh, because you're really an entrepreneur, right? So you've got to, keep entrepreneuring and uh, working into what dynamic fits into you, whether it be through, you know, like you mentioned, networking or opportunities that you see have some ability to create some uh, financial success. Not, And it doesn't have to be a, a huge success, like you're making tons of money, but mm-hmm. just as long as it's another piece of the puzzle that makes the pretty picture that you're looking for to live in the fishing industry. Yeah, to live in something you love. I mean, right. that's uh, I couldn't have said it better. In my eyes, it's never been uh, okay. Well, I want to make a ton of money with this, right? It's more right. like how can I how can I make this work? And I agree, it, it's not a situation where okay, um, I'm making a ton with this. It's if I can have all these little things that add up, you know, right. those all are going to grow over time too. And and this is how I can make a living. So I, I like that mindset. And I think that Absolutely. for folks interested in, um, in the fishing industry in general, you really have to look at it that way. Uh, you have to view it as a, um, kind of a, a willing to spread your investments across multiple activities. And you can have a focus right. point, like we discussed off the air where for you sure. are, this is my thing right now. I am putting all my time or a lot of my time into this, but you still right. have those additional, additional plans and steps in place. Yes. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think you, you find out really quick. I mean, you mentioned maybe you weren't a 10 percenter and, and yeah. you, you never know. You, you, you might be a 10 percenter, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so the, the, the interesting thing about that is if you don't keep your feet or, you know, into the game, you, you'll never know. Right. So Absolutely. If, if you just go, you know, fishing weekend events or, or and, and that kind of thing to is perfect to try to continue to build up to find out if you're, you're in that position. But if you, but if you just stop altogether, um, obviously your passion has, has, you know, concluded <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you're, and you're going off and maybe doing some other things. Maybe you're going to, you know, wh- whatever it is, maybe, you, you know, family has taken over or, or another job or, or something else that, that had more interest, you know, potentially, but it's, it's cool to, to think about, that 10% population because God, what, what crazy 
amazing anglers and skill that they have. Whatever piece to the puzzle they put it's together, insane. it's 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 absolutely phenomenal. I think I was actually looking earlier today at a uh, YouTube video from Edwin Evers. Okay. Uh, you know, Edwin, very successful, obviously, you know, classic winner, Red Crest winner. You, you, you put all the accolades, you know, I don't know if he's in several, you know, maybe a couple million dollars in, in earnings. But uh, from a sponsorship portfolio standpoint, just really ha- has been successful for uh, over 10 years. You know, used to run the huge Optima truck back when the Elite Series was yep. with ESPN and, th- and that kind of thing. And then and then even now, though, you know, he continues to reinvent what he does. And then I think it was YouTube. probably about 18 months ago, he started his YouTube deal, right? And and uh, wildly, po- you know, he's got 60,000 subs already. Um it's hard to get 60,000 subs on YouTube yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he's, he's killing it because he's putting out a great content, right? I mean, his content is, is, uh, it's, it's informative. It's, it's entertaining and um, it's, it's interesting to watch. So, uh, and it's professionally done. I mean, he's got a guy doing stuff and it is, it's incredible. I agree. Yeah. I've been incredibly impressed and he's given up some juice, man. I mean, it's not just, Hey, this is, I'm catching him here. It's like, all right, let's pull up Google Earth and go into yes. how I look at stuff going into a tournament. It's like, man, I've taken Absolutely. so much of that stuff. So it's want. another great, great example of a, of, of a guy that's already successful, but yet, you know, Edwin's a great entrepreneur. And that's what, like that's he's what got everything, so you know? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he, he's got the whole package. And most of the 10 percenters do because yeah. they are, you know, even if they go out and catch them, um, and usually if you're a 10 percenter, there's no – well, you got to wait a couple of years before they start catching them. Usually they start catching them pretty fast out of the gate and it just rolls, you know, it's just part of their mantra is that they, they, they've got the sixth sense or the ability to just be on the water and, and, and be better than most more often than not. So, um, but, but then they, they learn how to make these other steps and, and be successful. There, there's a few that haven't, but, but many, many have. And, and it's fun to watch and see how that works. And, and props to the guys that don't even need to do that stuff or, or haven't. You know, <laughs> that, that's cool for them. All they're doing is fishing every day, and that's where we all want to be, right? Exactly. Exactly, man. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Kurt, let's dive into a couple of your other things here. So let's talk about, uh, I guess, let's go into your angling career. So sure. you were fishing on the Tackle House Pro Circuit. Right. Um, so I guess let's uh, let's dive into um, a little bit of the business side, but also maybe let's talk a little bit about uh, what you're excited for in this upcoming season, what kind of some of your thoughts are uh, as far as what you can work on going into the 2022 season. But let's start first, um, you know, what's some advice that we could give to some folks that, I mean, you've been in this industry for a long time. You've fished yeah. as a professional angler as a long time maintaining as well as looking at uh new relationships in today's day and age what is uh maybe some some advice that you could give to an angler maybe that just qualified for the tackle warehouse pro circuit or another high level tournament organization what's uh what does it look like at that young age and then what does it look like after that uh in maintaining some of those relationships so i think uh at a young age or, or a middle age age, you know, Sorry, th- yeah. this Anyone is, who's yeah, qualified. either way. Right. Because the, the, the interesting aspect to just enter at that level, it's, it's so expensive. I mean, it was, exp- I started in the elite series in 2006 entry fees were $55,000 because we had 11 tournaments. There, there's it's cheap now compared to then. Right. But, but um, I, I say that facetiously because 
there, there's so much that goes on, whether you're a pro circuit, you know, qualifier and you're about to pony up $35,000 this year to, to, to fish or, or you're an elite series qualifier and you're about to pony up 45 K. Um, of course you've already been through the pro circuit. If, if now you jump on the Bass Pro Tour, so sure. totally different s- scenario there, but you know, that that's a lot of money, a lot of travel. And the first thing I think if I could advise anybody is come up with a business plan. Set a business plan of how you're trying to lay out a professional career, because um, to try to do it uh, part time for a long time is very difficult. Um, What I've done is I look back and I, how, how am I still here? You know, like what, 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 what road, you know, I've just been able to take a right fork in the road many times over the last, you know, what, 15 years now. I've been doing this 15 years. Crazy to even think that. But um, yeah. I've taken the right fork a lot of times and I've had to change some things because sponsor money goes like this. Right. I mean, it's you, you've got good years and you've got bad years. Um, but so you, there's got to be some stability if you're not one of the 10 percenters, because you have a couple bad years and, and you're going to go through potentially what, what nest egg you had, or you're going to be in debt to the point where you just got to leave it and you got to go work to get back out of debt. Right. Sure. The expense is extreme. And, um, so come up with a business plan. That That's my first key. And, and I say that like, okay, well, I need a couple sponsors and, and I need this. And, and I don't mean it like that. Like come up with a media plan to be a professional angler these days. You've got to have all the social right deal. You've got to really, you know, these days I'm, I'm kind of the elder a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm 49 now, I'll be 50 next year. So it's, you know, there, there was no Facebook when I started, uh, you know, there was, and, and there was MySpace. I, I remember when MySpace started, right? Really? That's how, yeah, yeah, that's, that's long ago. But, but so when all that stuff, uh, you know, you've, you've got to lay out all those things and look at the best ways to generate revenue, to generate impressions, because that's what sponsors are looking for. That's, and, and that's the key to, you know, helping you pay for expenses, unless you're going to work another job and try to do it that way, uh, which is a difficult way to go, but it, it's feasible. Um, but man, that that's even a little bit different dynamic. So um, coming up with that business plan, maybe your business plan does include you know, a, a, another career, right? You've got your fishing career and maybe a supplemental career that, that, you know, they can mesh together. Um, it's hard to mesh two of those together because most people in the career business world, you know, two, three, maybe four weeks vacation, if you work there a long time and, and, you know, that doesn't work for, you know, six or eight tournaments a year. Right. So, so you got to figure that out. That that's the first thing is, is get a plan together that, that makes some, some good sense uh, from a business perspective. Then it's, it's uh, you know, how do you spend more time on the water to continue to improve, to, to uh, put new techniques into place that, that maybe you need to work on Um, doing research on bodies of water, you know, going to new waters. I, I heard once early in my career, a bass is a bass is a bass. To a degree it is, but, you know, a lot of the veteran anglers have been to these bodies of water over and over and over again. And it is super difficult to just show up and never have been on a body of water. So being able to spend the time on the key, what I consider key national tournament lakes, which there's probably about 20 of them. That's the great thing about tournament bass fishing. There's a lot of lakes in the country, but if you could name 20 lakes and put time to really 
understand 20 different lakes, you're going to know 80% of the water that national tournaments fish. Kurt, that's a, that's a great point. So just a, this is a selfish plug, but it is, is seriously valuable information. So on the serious angler YouTube channel, guys, um, I created a video. I went through, I'm a very analytical person when it comes to this stuff. I created an Excel file of all the major tournament lakes over the last three and five years of tournament series hitting those lakes. Right. So I did a point system as well. If it was a pro level event, so if it was a over a, uh, $2,500 entry fee. So not an opens, not a Costa's, not a Toyota series. Those I counted as two points. And then I counted one points on the Toyota series and the opens. And I went through and on all the lakes in the country, the schedules for every, every circuit. And I, and I, uh, there's a video with the Excel file with every single lake ranked on the three year and the five year, the last three years and the last five years. And you can go through and say, look, here's the lakes you need to hit. If you're looking to go pro, and right. uh, so there's some surprises on there too, where I was like, yeah. man, I really didn't expect it, but they go to that one every year, you know? And so uh, cool. it, it's a cool, and I agree with you. I, I think that that was my thought process of this whole thing was if you really want to get uh, to that next level, you need to see these lakes because it is such an advantage. I a hundred percent agree. Right. Right. So I have to, I have to check that out. I haven't watched that video. Check but it I, out, I will look Serious at it. Angler YouTube that's, channel. That's look awesome. For it. <laughs> great great platform and uh great resource uh, obviously so uh I'll be, I'll be checking checking out that video specifically for sure um but as, as far as uh maybe other suggestions for for new anglers you know headed out there um gosh you know i, I think those are the probably the two biggest keys so if yeah. you've got a plan and, and 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 understand the plan then understand the playing field where you're going to implement this plan, you know, particularly the industry. Don't if you if you want to be in this industry, there, there's a couple shows in, in that you know, don't want to miss. Obviously, through COVID, that's a different scenario that we've all had. But but between the classic, uh, what used to be the FLW Championship and ICAST, um, you know, they, those are shows that if you're a professional fisherman, you need to be to those shows. Or if you want to be a professional fisherman, you need to be to those shows. And even if you have a small sponsor or whatever that's, you know, offering to help at those shows or just showing up and saying, hey, man, I'm here because this is my passion. This is my vision of life is to be involved here in this in this platform. Then uh, you, you got to be to those shows. So take that uh, as as maybe some some thought process as well. And it could, there's still some big regional shows in, in the U S there's oh, none sure. really here in my area in Texas. We used to have one or two. Um, but, but there's a lot of really good big regional shows and, and, you know, you should be knocking on those, uh, you know, regional territories that you may live in as well. No, Kurt, I think that's great advice. So, uh, I attended my, uh, first time at the classic this year and nice. was, was so impressed and had met so many people but i think the advice that i took the most from that with what you just said was okay so many of these anglers go to a a classic because oh maybe a sponsor is requiring that they go have a certain amount of shows or or that kind of a thing but Mm -hmm. i really like the thought process of showing the initiative of even if you aren't absolutely invited from a sponsor to go to that kind of a show to either show up and say hey look i would like to come to this i would like to help out but also if you're not aligned with that company having the the ability to go and say look i'm here if you guys need help with anything i'd love to help out i love your guys organization and i just want to i want to be here and this is uh this is what i love so uh i I think that's great advice especially for an up-and-coming angler i think it's really important to be get out there yeah and you can never know enough people and and the community is small 
you know, but networking is important because you, you hear all the time, well, how do I get a job in the fishing industry or how, do, you know, a lot of jobs in this industry are not, you know, posted in, you know, online forums. Um, sometimes they are, but, but there's a lot of jobs that, you know, either people go between companies or people get new entry level um, positions or even maybe part-time positions with manufacturers or companies or rep groups or uh, distributor platforms, all, all of these ways to be involved in the industry, um, even employed by an organization right? MLF or Bass or whatever, you know, you don't get those by just, you know, applying for a job online. Most of them are through networking and in the industry. And that's where you network through those people. And, and even if someone doesn't say that, yes, I need you to work my booth, or I want you to stop by, go anyway and network, talk to people through all over the industry, just get to know what is going on and how the inside of the industry works. Super important. So congrats to you for being your first classic. It's awesome. <laughs> and it was a good time. No, I, I learned a lot. It was cool to, cool to just walk around and meet. Right. People, sure. Awesome. Well, uh, man, let's just, let's go into the 2022 season. Let's talk a little okay. bit about, uh, what you, uh, what you do well this last season, what you, what you feel like you really need to work on. And then let's, let's go over a little bit of the schedule. So I have had a horrible last two years, plain and simple. You can Google it and look it up, and it's been rough. Um, I had some mediocre years before that. I had one really good year in 2019, had a couple mediocre but you know sustainable years and in, in, in years prior to that. And then um, in the Elite Series, uh, before uh, I started fishing the FLW Tour, um, I had a couple okay, fair years, and then, you know, one or two, you know, rough ones you know it's it's I've, i made one flw tour championship um i haven't yet qualified for a classic and um honestly so as as i approach all of my fishing industry um position life business um this year i'm actually making a change i'm not going to be fishing the mlf pro circuit this really? year um they raised the entry fee five thousand dollars and um man, i looked at where uh, you know, that left me from a business perspective entirely. Uh, talked to people that were close to me and my sponsor, Corral, and um, I've decided to go a different direction. Um, not for any crazy wild reason other than for me, it just didn't make great business sense to increase my expenditures by $5,000, which from an entry fee standpoint was, you know, I, it was like almost 20%, 15, 20%, which is, which is significant. And, um, especially when you're talking the difference between spending, you know, about 40 to 45,000 to lifting that to 45 to a little over 50,000 for a six event tour. Um, Another big reason for, for, you know, kind of changing my platform uh, from what I want to fish. And, 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 and it's either going to be the Opens and Toyotas. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll probably fish a couple Opens divisions. I, I won't fish all nine. Um, might squeeze in some Toyota, you know, series events around that. Sure. But um, the, the time on the water was really critical for me. Um, you know, between... Uh, you know, I also work with Hayabusa Fishing Hooks, which which mm -hmm. we might jump into a little Absolutely. bit. But between that, doing the podcast, a little bit of guiding, the camps that I do, uh, you know, I do some pro some pro bass camps, some fishing camps, and mm -hmm. and um, you know, just sponsor organizations. I wanted to spend more time on the water. 
And and part of spending more time on the water was being in a tournament series that didn't require an off-limits period or a specific amount of official practice days, and you had to be off-limits prior to that. So the way I actually look at 22, 2022 in my tournament yeah. platform is going to be, you know what? I could go practice for five days or four days. I'm not tied into practice like we did last year. We had two days of practice right? yeah. and potentially four days of tournament. And I was driving, let's say, to Okeechobee, for example, first event of the year. And it took me two days to drive there. And I fished for four days. And I won, I don't, I think I won five grand at the first event. And then I had to drive two days back home. And I got home and I was like, let me think here. I drove four days. Oh, and I fished four days. And dang, you know, driving as much as I'm fishing, ah, and all the events were like that for me this year. Yeah. So when I got done with this year, and I, I actually think uh, that they will likely change the rule back to three days of practice for the MLF Pro Circuit this year. But with the consideration from a business standpoint and me w- wanting to spend more days on the water and having that as a part of you know my tournament success potentially in 2022, uh, I'm going to fish events that don't have an off-limits. I like Simple it. as that. Simple as that. I'm going to be able to do a lot of things. I'm going to be able to do more stuff for my sponsors. Um, you know, more more photos and stuff for social media. More different things with bait orientation. Uh, have more time for you know video things. Um, I'm going to be in the territory of the event longer, so my rap boat's going to get more exposure. Um, you know, my truck and and all all of those things that you create some branding opportunities for sponsor with will will actually increase by by many days of, of being on the road. So um, outside of everything else I do. Right. So that was kind of some of the value that I saw. And and then also, you know, I'm probably going to spend about 10 to $15,000 in entry fees versus 35 K in entry fees. And, you know, a lot of things in, in my business perspective where I was like, okay, that makes sense after I talked to my sponsor corral. So, so that's the way I'm headed in 2022 and I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) I love it, man. I I really like it. And I, uh, I think that numbers never lie, right? When you're you're really looking at this, like a business plan, which you had recommended, especially for upcoming anglers. Uh, I think that's a, that's a great point. And man, I appreciate you, you diving into your plans for 2022. You bet. So I follow along, man. I'm yeah. gonna fish. Uh, I don't know. I fished the Central Toyotas last year. I may okay. go down and fish the uh, the Southwesterns there on on Rayburn and and those so ones. Texoma, right? Yeah, right. yeah it's Texoma Rayburn, and uh, so uh, man. And and I'm also fishing some stuff as a co angler on the open side and just trying to to dip my feet in as much as I can. Awesome. So um, would be uh, would, would be great to run into you. Uh, out of yeah, we, we, I'm sure we will. If you fish. Uh, I'm, likely the central opens uh, okay. for a confirmation there looking for a confirmation in the northern opens and um you know like i like i said before probably tackling a toyota series event here or there as well uh, we'll just have to kind of see how the schedule transpires and and then time you know that's the great thing about you know some of the toyota events is you don't have to sign up on the day of registration you right. can kind of just you know go through the process they have a linking you know, standard that you can work with as well. So a lot of, a lot of different opportunities play where MLF is really consumer friendly in that standpoint. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of take it as, as the year comes, but, uh, 
I'm just excited to be on the water a little bit more. Um, I feel like the pressure is still there. I've had probably some of my best success in open events and Toyota style events or Everstart events. Um, it, you know, it's a little side note. I, I actually wanted to transfer in 2008 from the elite series to the FLW tour. Um, really? Because after I got over the emotional aspect of qualifying for the elite series in 05 and jumping into that mix, as I mentioned, 55 K in entry fees, and that doesn't even include travel back in that day. And um, the economy, you know, started to change in that 07, 08 timeframe. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, you could fish these six events in the FLW tour for like 25,000 bucks. And yeah. I was like, man, that's a lot better business decision. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, I, I actually qualified for the Everstart through the Everstart for the FLW Tour back then, but um, decided to make a, a transition at that point where I went into more guiding and I was, excuse me, I was guiding full time. And, um, you know, it made better business sense that I didn't, you know, completed that that time and and like i said before a lot of times in my career i've just you know come to a a potential fork in the road and i've chosen a particular direction man it's tend to work out so working out kind of following my gut and and doing my thing who knows in 2023 you might see me on the elite series again (laughs) awesome i have no no clue obviously that's a big (laughs) tall order these days you know with three three qualification spots and in in a division 200 Um, fields yeah you used to be five qualification spots in a division and and really we were having about 120 to 160 boats in a field so odds have changed significantly from those days but uh man i'm i've had sex success at it before so i look forward to potentially having success at it again awesome man awesome yeah. well, glad to hear that and uh no uh i've always thought it, like you had kind of mentioned your your previous decision to look at the flw tour versus the elite series from a business standpoint yeah. Uh, I've thought of it, especially for folks who maybe own their own business or are set up uh, with a guiding situation, having the ability to have six events, right, yeah. uh, was always, I thought, was like, man, and, and, and especially back in the FLW days, it was a, uh, a pretty shortened season. You could, yes. you could, you could be doing a lot of other things. Uh, it was a short season window. So, um, no, I, I, I like the different aspects. I, I think, uh, my thought process with all these different leagues in the fishing industry kind of gives anglers some options right now. Um, And you just got to choose what's best for you. And it's like, you're saying that's that you're looking at it from a business standpoint and what makes sense, the most sense for you right now. Um, And man, with that, let's get into a little bit. uh, We could talk all night about it. We can, man. No, this is awesome. (laughs) This is awesome. We can ramble on forever. That's what what happens on the show but man let's let's dig into a little bit of uh we'll leave the hayabusa for last i know that's okay. the main focus right now so look, let's uh, let's first dig into um the little bit of guiding you do and then also the pro bass camp man kurt dove's pro bass camp is an awesome organization and i followed that a lot i actually looked when you first started that in high school i almost came down i almost oh, came down to del rio man and fished on Amistad with that but anyways let's uh let's dive into those aspects of your your business and then uh we'll, we'll look at hayabusa so let's start at the pro bass camp stuff all right. Sounds good. Well, I'll, I'll throw a little twist, you know, from a guiding standpoint is actually how pro bass camp came about. Um, okay. 
you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, some recommendations, you know, guiding is a great way, just like going to the classic or ICAST or, or a Red Crest or any of the, the big territorial shows. Guiding is also a great way to network. Um, you meet people that love to fish. Um, you meet business owners, you meet, uh, you know, people from all walks of life, young anglers, uh, you know, just clientele, you know, comes from all walks of life. So in the guiding perspective is actually how the pro bass camp evolved. Um, I, I went out on a, uh, took on a, my two clients at that, that time were uh, Chase Kemp and Roger DiCamillo. And uh, we were out on a trip at Lake Amistad. They were telling me about a youth camp. Uh, it's not a camp, but they, they had a youth organization that was uh, primarily focused on hunting uh, over in New Mexico in the Las Cruces area. And uh, they did a little bit of fishing, but interesting, they they had more youth anglers coming in that had that fishing bug. And, um, and they were interested to, you know, kind of talk to me about, you know, just yeah, while we were fishing on the lake, just talk about their, their, um, their youth club. And, and I expressed to them, uh, you know, how, when I was a youth, I was into basketball. That was my game, right? I was, I was hooping, shooting threes, all that kind of good stuff. And, yeah. and, um, even to the point where I tried to walk on a college and I was tried out college, almost made a college team and, and uh, just super into it. I mean, it was the passion at the time for me and, and I still bass fish, but really got stronger into bass fishing from a tournament perspective while I was in college. But, okay. but um, not because there was college fishing in those days there absolutely wasn't, but, uh, <laughs> but um, it was while I was in college that I, that I fished my first actual club tournament. Um, right. But but anyway, um, I digress back to this guide trip. And I was telling them that I loved basketball when I was a kid. And I really got the opportunity to go to a couple of camps. And I love the experience of overnight camps, just immersing yourself into this passion that you had for me at that time was basketball. And and then I wanted had this vision of doing the same thing for for fishing, you know, especially in 2012, when this whole this and we had this conversation probably back in 2010 or 11 is when this conversation on this this guide trip at Lake Amistad took place. They call me about six or eight months later and they, man, were you serious that that you would like to put on a camp like that? And I, man, I was yeah, I'm dead serious, Chase and Roger. I'd really like to do this, but guys, I just I don't know that I can handle it and put it on my plate and make it effective as I would want it to be. And they said, Will, if if you really want to do this, we will support you in this process. And I, you know, they had kids in their club that, you know, like I said before, had that fishing bug. There you go. First bass camp was born. We had it 2012 down here on Lake Amistad. I actually look at the trophy right here. Julian Sarsa, Sosa Carver was, <laughs> was the first uh, pro bass camp champion. But um, that's how it evolved. And then it just started from 10 anglers, five guides essentially down here at Del Rio. And uh, it, it grew and grew and grew. And and now it's it's maxed out. The lodging capacity we have down here is 34 campers at Lake Amistad. Uh, we do 22 campers up in New York at Oneida Lake. Uh, I have three sessions per year just because that's that's the time that I, I can allocate to to putting on this program. Uh, wish I could make more time in my life, but that's just where I'm at. And, sure. and um, 
So we have two sessions down here at Lake Amistad. 2022, the sessions will be uh, May the 28th through June the 1st. And second session will be June the 2nd through June the 6th. And the New York camp will be July 11th through the 15th up on Oneida Lake. So those are the 2022 Pro Bass Camp sessions. Uh, we have a website, probasscamp.com. Um, so we're, we're getting all that ready. We're actually uh, going to announce that this week, the, those dates. They haven't been announced yet, so you're hearing it first right here on Sirius here we Network. And we, uh, we will announce that on our Instagram. We got an Instagram page, Facebook page, of course. So, um, man, it's all about uh, the passion of fishing. And, man, these youth anglers these days, you know, with YouTube and all this, you know, social media, all these great resources they have, they – have so much more opportunity to get involved in things that that they're passionate about bass fishing particularly you see east texas you know these tournaments are like 300 teams of high school crazy south texas now it, it used to be south texas wasn't as strong but south texas now you get 140 160 teams in these in these big wow. tournaments and and we're mostly made up of small towns in southwest texas oh, yeah, right yeah. i mean there's not a lot of huge towns so anyway it's a it's a growing trend and and the camp is 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 a place where if you're a youth angler and you want to uh immerse yourself in an experience that that you can learn different tactics techniques seminars on the water training that's what pro bass camp is it's on the water training um it's taking the youtube videos that you see and it's actually a pro angler in the boat with you potentially the high school angler and teaching you exactly how that process works um at Lake Amistad, typically in June, we are catching tons of fish, you know, 20 to 60 fish a day in a boat. Uh, I remember last summer, Matt Pangrak uh, from Bass Talk Live, he, he helps out uh, down here at Lake Amistad. And I think one day they caught like 65 or 70 fish. I mean, it was insane. Um, and, and that's not uncommon. So the cool thing, too, is that it's not just this is how you work this technique. But it's how you work this this technique, and then you actually get a bite doing it and wind the fish in, right? So <laughs> it's the full gamut, the full process. Hall of Famer Denny Brower has been with helping me out for years. Uh, Dave Mansu, Olin Jensen, local local guide here at Lake Amistad. Uh, you know Rick Harris, a huge part of the camp. Mm-hmm. So there, there's so many of these guys. Joe LaBarbera helped us out in New York earlier this year. So yet. many of these yep. guys, just you know. Their passion also increases when these youth anglers are there, man. They're teaching them all the stuff, and they see them have success. Get this kid holding up this, you know, three or four pound bass, and dude, everybody's just stoked. So it, it just it's a it's a lot of fun, and um, we really enjoy teaching the teaching process and uh, watching the anglers have fun. It culminates with a tournament where the the youth anglers the compete it, right? against themselves against the other youth anglers and you know typically on a on a on a general camp we're giving away you know about $3500 in college scholarships to the best performing anglers and and all kinds of stuff go in into the camp in general but um that's pro bass camp in a in a, in a nutshell yeah. What was that? A four minute spiel? <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was you, you. You have everything, and uh, man, and and with the serious angler, 
uh, YouTube channel, we've got a, a lot of younger audience. So guys, if, if you're interested cool. in this, I will link this in uh, the podcast description as well as the YouTube description of this show. Uh, also, I mean, talk about as far as if, if you're a parent watching that has a kid super interested in high school tournament fishing and everything else that want to see that next level and fish with a pro for a day and have a, have a great time and meet other kids who are interested in the same hobby and the same right. sport that you are. That's the perfect situation. Sorry about yeah. that. Dog it, but. Yeah, no, I heard it. It's great. Well, I got a dog too. It's, I'm surprised she hasn't barked yet. <laughs> Things are going good. <laughs> the, 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 the interesting you mentioned about the network of these anglers and, and uh, when you go to a high school, you know, let's say a high school team, maybe there's 10 or, or, 20 anglers you go to these camps and you meet so many different other anglers from so many different other states they make these little snapchat groups or or instagram groups and they stay in touch and it's an opportunity to you know talk to communicate with already begin that networking process right because these are anglers that are wildly stoked about bass fishing uh most likely will keep that uh, you know, fire going for, for years to come. So, man, we've had youth camp uh, anglers that are now attending the same college. One of them from Virginia and one of them from North Carolina are both at the University of Monticello there in Alabama. Um, I think they won the overall uh, collegiate fishing title as a wow. team. This wow. past year, but but uh, they weren't quite on the team yet. They're they're freshmen coming in, but uh, anyway, they they uh, are going to the same college together, and that's another great thing, you know, with these college scholarships and different opportunities that that folks have now that are high school anglers and looking to go to the their next level, which would you know typically is the college route. Sure. Um, networking with those folks and seeing what opportunities are available out there in college fishing. I know that there's some, some platforms that are beginning to grow to provide anglers knowledge and understanding of what opportunities do exist. But, uh, uh, you know, ex again, expanding your networks, some of the best ways to, to understand and, and be familiar with those processes. For sure, Kurt. And uh, just to to kind of bring back a personal story with all this, as far as, uh, so I fished in college and, some of those anglers today that I, I hung out with um, fishing tournaments and then making a national championship and having guys from out West all kind of travel together to these national championships. Those relationships um, have been some of, some of my best friends through, right. through fishing. Right. That's and it's, awesome. it's, it's incredible. I mean, you have folks that uh, I mean, when I kind of started stuff with the podcast and first it was business from the bass boat and now uh, have merged with the serious angler podcast, but Right. With all of that, I have all these guys in my corner kind of cheering me on. And, and then, and then you have guys, you're always bouncing back and, and, and talking fishing stuff with and guys when they have tournament success. And it's, it's a, it's a really crazy dynamic. Uh, this, this last weekend we were fishing actually off my buddy's boat on like Havasu and Mojave right. and we blew the motor on, on oh, Havasu. Yeah. Blue powerhead. It's awesome. Yeah. We still, <laughs> yeah. We still caught enough. Great day. <laughs> right. Great day. Anyways, uh, we still caught enough to make the final day championship. It was oh, a one awesome. day tournament on Mojave for a bass cat. Right. Well, I'm like, crap, we don't have a running boat. Like we need a boat. Okay. I have a college friend, Gunner Stratton, who, uh, is a hammer out, out, <laughs> uh, out West, by the way, lives, uh, real close to Lake Mead fishes, all those, all those, uh, lakes there. And I right. called him up and man, um, 
again, we stay in contact quite a bit, all meeting through college fishing. Right. And uh, he's like, dude, take my boat. Let's go. You got a chance at a boat tomorrow. Come pick it up and uh, awesome. switch the gear into that boat and fish. And that's just, I, I don't know, the fishing community is so cool that way. And I just yeah. feel like the pro bass camp is another way to start that, even a younger process than the college fishing and to build those relationships. Yeah. Props to Gunner. <laughs> Absolutely. <man. laughs> Shout out to Gunner again. But uh, yeah. yeah, that. The, Perfect example. And, and, um, you know, we go into Hayabusa fishing, uh, discussion. Yeah. That's actually how I got my job wow. at, at Hayabusa. Yeah. So, um, that, that is, as you mentioned before, you know, kind of my priority and, mm -hmm. um, that, that's my a one, a, uh, tournament fishing and sponsor obligations and promotion sure. are, are number two. Uh, I'd put number three, uh, probably Bass Edge Radio. It takes me a couple days a month to, to produce that, that show and, and tape that show. So it's not a, a lot of time, but you know, it, it's, it's a part of the consumption of time that, that you have in life. Right. So, and then, you know, the third or excuse me, the fourth priority would be, you know, pro bass camp and, and guiding. So yeah. high boost is really important to me. As yeah. you can tell, as it's my number, number one. one priority. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it was a PAA event. Uh, it was called the Corporate Cup. What was this PAA event that okay. we had established? Folks that are too young to know what the PAA is, it was a Professional Anglers Association. This was a uh, group that was for formulated by uh, a lot of the same anglers you see today in the Bass Pro Tour. And uh, the PAA was a in, in a position to have this. I don't really want to get into what the PAA was, but but the, this event in particular was called the Corporate Cup, a special event that the PAA had. I hooked up with um, Yusuke Miyazaki and Mega Bass sponsored our team. And Very within cool. that, um, Yusuke, picked, Yusuke, Yusuke picked two other anglers to fish with. And so he had a buddy that, that he fished with and he picked another buddy, um, which his name was Yosuke Toma to fish with me. He was a student at the university of North Texas. Uh, he was an accounting student, uh, okay. Japanese, uh, exchange style student. Yep. And, uh, Yosuke went back to Japan. So I met Yosuke. We had a fun time fishing. We fished uh, multiple times after that here at Lake Amistad, at, you know, me guiding him. And and uh, he had a friend or two that he brought down here uh, before back in, gosh, like mid to late 2000s, early 2000, like 2012, you know, cool. 2013 time frame. So we, we kind of always stayed in touch. And um, he got a job in Japan eventually not not right out of the gate but eventually when he went back home to japan he got a job with hayabusa no way and, uh, yep so because his passion was bass fishing, fishing right is the counting exactly major. here we go exactly so pff, what are you gonna do when you go back to japan okay well you, you figured it out and got a job with a fishing company hayabusa cool. is a pretty big company in japan and um so he, because of his English knowledge, and he got a job in the global department. Long story short is he was tapped after a couple years or so to run Hayabusa USA. And based on our continued relationship and networking and, and uh, friendship, uh, you know, when he came here, he's like, hey, Kurt. Uh, I want to push our freshwater products. We really don't have an established uh, business here in the U.S. in the freshwater department. Um, our primary sales are in the saltwater world here in the U.S. And um, would you be interested to 
work with me and and help me grow this company in the U- United States. And at that time, remember before I was talking about sponsorships kind of go like this, the, the dollars. Oh, yeah. And I had and I had some really, really good years and I was on a, a mediocre time frame. And as I was growing older at that time, I was in my mid 40s. Uh, stability really started to mean something to me. I had been in the fishing industry for uh, 11 years at that time. And I was, and stability was really attractive. Like I could still tournament fish and work this job. Yeah. Oh, this checks is the box. This is, <laughs> this is attractive. So uh, man, we made a, we made a agreement and I started working at Hayabusa USA wow. and uh, started growing the freshwater brand. And, um, it's, it's been a lot of fun, uh, an adventure. Uh, I've learned a lot as well about another side of the industry. I was able to bring a lot of my marketing and relationships to the table, which really helped us get started in the high system. Then I learned a lot more about behind the business things, you know, silly things like, you know, how does a price become a consumer price. You know, what are the steps it goes through from the manufacturing to shipping over to the United States to, uh, you know, distributor pricing versus chain pricing versus wholesale, you know, all of these different things yeah. and, and, and what all these numbers mean. And, and Yosuke was a great teacher because he was an accounting major and uh, he understands numbers like <laughs> no one I know. Yeah. He's, he's got a great <laughs> business mind from from that uh, calculated standpoint uh, analytically. And, and I was able to bring my marketing relationship aspect to the table, which really, I think, helped us, you know, establish a, a nice start to a team that has since evolved. Uh, K- Kazuki Kitajima now works with with Hayabusa as well. Um, he's a longtime tournament angler down in Florida. He still fishes Bassmaster Opens as well. And, uh, you know, it's it's a great little team that we have here pushing Hayabusa saltwater product, freshwater product, obviously, which has my heart. <laughs> right. That's right. that's the most interesting side of it for me. But uh, I've learned a lot about saltwater fishing as well. So it's been uh, it's been a growth process in that regard also. But um, understanding more about that business aspect, what a manufacturer is looking for, how they uh, evolve into developing a freshwater product uh, in in the environment from marketing to sales, from how does it get to not just the consumer, but to different retailers? How does it go through the distribution process? Um Man, it's been it's been a, an interesting ride, and and I understand more than ever how the angler plays in that process and mm-hmm. what they can do to help that process. And what's interesting in that is is if you're solely an angler, and there's some check boxes that you need to get on your list every year, and make sure you check them off because if you can do just some specific. I don't want to call them small because nothing we do in life. I mean, it all means something and you got to, you got to make time for it. But there are some, a few boxes that if you can check them off a a couple times a month, uh, a couple times every quarter that, that they mean so much to the manufacturer to be an established and, and um, a valuable member of their brand. So uh, that, that's also helped me as well in a, in a lot of aspects. So it's great. Very that's, dynamic. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So, so Kurt, one thing that I've just noticed with everything you've talked about uh, tonight and all your different with Hayabusa, with Pro Bass Camp, with everything here, 
it is it is stemmed from a standpoint of uh, relationships with yeah. folks that you've met, right? And Absolutely. a great a great way, as you've talked about, is guiding. I mean, you talk about uh, I, I've had personal conversations with some elite series guys who say, "Dude, all these all these sponsors on my boat are from guide clients, <laughs> right. from folks that I took out." that we built a relationship with and said, look, this is what I want to do. And this is uh, so, so that relationship building, I feel like is such an important role and having that ability to make those connections, whether it be at a show, at a camp, at, at, uh, at a tournament. I mean, talk to people, man. I mean, that's the, that's the whole part of this is that those relationships go so far and they uh, just produce opportunity after opportunity. Uh, and I just appreciate you kind of uh, bringing that yeah. light to everything you've done. And, and as great as, as Zoom and, and all these uh, technological YouTube and all these things are, there there's nothing that replaces meeting somebody face-to-face, person-to-person, uh, getting to know somebody, uh, becoming a friend of somebody. Not, not because they've got something for you, but just because a friendship developed out of a passion that you're involved in. Uh, obviously in mine, in your case as well, bass fishing. Yeah. So it's, it's, it seems so simple. Yet you've got to put yourself out there. You know, you, you've got to you've got to keep active in the industry, you know, at the most basic fundamental levels. What what a, here, here's one of my biggest uh, spiels. Uh, I'll give you this quick spiel. And, and I think it comes to about life has a lot to do with about bass fishing, but it, but it has a little bit to do about life as well. And it's fundamentals, right? There's mm-hmm. fundamentals that you got to do in bass fishing to be successful. And, and I feel like it transcends in many ways, but this is my spiel. You know, there's a high school basketball player, right? And, and there's a foul shot and, and the coach has taught him how to box out, right? Sure. He's, he's underneath the block. He's the coach has taught this, this, this player had a box out, but he's yelling, yelling at him. Hey, Ricky, you know, box out, get your arms up, you know, keep them out of the lane. We got to get the rebound. You know, Ricky goes about his business. Hopefully he boxed out, got his rebound, everything. Everybody's happy, right? Yep. Yep. Th- this guy, Ricky is, uh, he's a phenomenal basketball player. Goes to, you know, let's say the university of North Carolina. Right. Uh, he's really he's really playing. He's ball. really good. He's yeah. really good. He's a blue chipper. Okay. Yep, yep. Now, you know, I'll go back. It used to be Dean Smith and Roy Williams. Now uh I think Hubert Davis is the head coach now of the University of North Carolina. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is a that's a new head coach. I'm a basketball freak, as I mentioned before, but so I still follow my basketball. But uh I Hubert like Davis, it. head coach, University of North Carolina, recruited Ricky. Ricky comes, Ricky's a blue chipper. Dude, what happens? Dude's playing Duke. Ricky's on the box down low. It's a foul shot. Hubert Davis. Ricky, box out. Get your arms up. <laughs> fundamentals. It's fundamentals. Yeah. Ricky is the one of the top college basketball players in the nation. Goes plays for San Antonio Spurs. Greg Popovich out there on the line. Ricky's underneath the basket. Yeah. Yeah. You know, name name another. He's got LeBron behind him, right? And 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 Popovich is, hey Ricky, box him out, box. <laughs> no matter what you do, fundamentals are critical when you think of fishing. Think of behavioral patterns, the fundamentals that we all read. What are seasonal? Ba- where do you start? It's the most question you get all the time. Man, how do you decide where to start? 
Well, I decide where to start based on seasonal behavior patterns. What is a bass fishing seasonal behavior pattern? It is a freaking fundamental, right? How do you be successful in business? Follow fundamentals. You know, no one's going to get anywhere if they're just sitting behind a computer all day. Now, in some in some businesses, you will, right? Sure. So don't get me wrong. But in bass fishing, in this industry, you know, being out there networking and and uh, being able to set a good business plan, like we talked about earlier for, for new anglers, even if you're just coming out of college, man, you know, like, okay, what companies do I really love? What would I really like to do? If I want to work in this industry, set up a basic fundamental plan, right? So always follow fundamentals. They're super important. It'll help you catch more fish. It will help you in, in life and, and it'll help you in, in bass fishing industry as well. So, so uh, fundamentals, fundamentals super critical. Yeah, man. I don't know if that was a no. kind of offbeat, a uh, little, no. maybe a little weird, but, uh, dude, no. it, it comes back, I think a lot. And, uh, so anyway, that's my, so, my two cents for the day. For sure, man. So many times on this show, we get into uh, a crossover between bass fishing, uh, business advice, and life advice. And that's right. a, a great piece, man. And that's kind of how we like to wrap things up is a big piece of advice. So you've done that. So awesome. my last questions for you, Kurt, are uh, what I ask every guest on the show. Okay. Uh, your three personal best. So personal best, largemouth, smallmouth, spotted bass, where you caught them. And what you caught them on personal best largemouth is easy um i, I have a tie okay nine pounds Ooh, 13 double. ounces yeah, wow. yeah nine pounds 13 oh, so not caught it once but uh that 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 have been a story but uh I caught one in August. Uh, I can't remember the year, but I caught one in August and one in February, both here at Lake Amistad. Uh, one was on a Carolina rig. The other one was on a Texas rig. Okay. Um, but like I said, both of them large mouth here at Lake Amistad, nine pounds, 13 ounces. Awesome. My biggest spot is tough. I, I don't get a big opportunity to fish a lot of spotted bass lakes, but uh, I remember a fish in particular okay. that, that rings to me. So if it's not my PB, I can't think of another time when I broke, when I would have broke this uh, fish, but, but this was a four pound, six ounce spotted bass. Big spot. Uh, Caught it on a half ounce jig, uh, in just you know ripping current spotted bass. They they just set up really well when the current is running hard, and uh, so it was a half ounce jig, real simple, just you know twitching it down the ripping current, just trying to actually keep up with the jig. I mean it's it was probably R- flowing ripping. at a six or seven mile an hour pace. It, wow. was, it was ripping. I, maybe not that fast, but I would say at least four miles an hour. I was trolling motor was on eight just to hold it actually it was wow. the uh in the practice for the elite series of event that um God, i'm trying to remember who won the event where was it it was at at the alabama river okay and uh the most memorable thing from that elite series event was jared miller fishing behind the, the dam. uh the dam and going up there on the last day and putting a giant hole in his boat. <laughs> yep. That video has gone famous, man. Yeah. So, so that was the, uh, that, that was when and where I caught my biggest spotted bass. Now for smallmouth, uh, definitively it was, I say definitively now I'm second. It was either on Lake Erie or Lake Ontario. Um, man, I've caught a lot of big smallmouth. 
The thing that I reason I can't remember my PB is because I always six pound is my PB mark for smallmouth. Mm-hmm. Like if I catch a six pounder, I'll never forget when and where I caught it. And I have not caught a six pounder yet, but I've caught several of those, you know, like five ten, five twelves. And um I remember specifically a five ten that I caught um on Lake Erie. It was out at the Sister Islands which is right outside of the mouth of the Detroit river, uh, kind of between the Bass Islands and Peely Island area. Okay. And, um, it ate a drop shot, you know, like most small mouth do out there on the great lakes. And, uh, it was before max scent though. It was long before max. <laughs> I don't remember exactly which bait I caught it on. It was probably, a a rains bubbling shaker or something. Oh yeah. Like bubbling but, shakers. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. But that's my Very biggest cool, PB that really that I know I I 100% put it on a scale and I was like I have five ten nice there we go I that's need that awesome. one in the tournament <laughs> yeah dude that's uh, two connections there so my my PB smallmouth I, same same situation I know when I catch one over uh, six but I I okay. fished the St Lawrence Open uh, this year uh, I fished the boater stuff on the other side but fished some of the coast stuff on those faraway places nice uh, and man I caught three over five and a half, but still didn't break that six mark. Right. 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 You're right. It's same situation. Do you remember, do you remember how big the five and a half plus was, or is it just like one of those things? Like, ah, I didn't reach my minimum. It's, it's right. One of them was a five, on a scale. So I, I don't know that the, it was a five, eight, three. So okay. what's that? Okay. Five, ten. Yeah. That's, that's, that's five, twelve. Five, twelve. No. Okay. That's actually more than five seventy five would be five, twelve. So five, eighty three is five, thirteen, probably maybe. in that five, thirteen range. Yeah. We'll maybe. That's where I'm yeah. at. Maybe five, fourteen ish. Oh, yeah. Depends on the close. waves, how the waves were <laughs> exactly. going out there. Right? Man. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, man. No. Uh, connection there and then man like you said the jared miller situation so so we i fished the bass nation event this year uh the colorado bass nation event well it was in oklahoma yeah miller fished for for colorado that's right and uh made it made uh the national and finished i believe third qualified him for the classic and uh he's a great guy talked to him out on the water but uh you know, he mentioned uh, that he had never made a classic. Uh, he had, when he fished the elites, he never yeah. had made a classic. He made a classic, so excited to see how he does uh, in uh, the twenty twenty two classics. So that'd cool. be a great great stat to run that one day. Is is how many elite series anglers never qualified for a classic through the elite series? You know, some have fished classics and qualified for the opens and stuff, but particularly. When I fished in that 06 through through 15 time frame, and, and I yep. had a couple-year break, I requalified to the Opens again, uh, again, trying to rekindle that here coming up in 2022. But um, yeah. <laughs> it would be interesting because, man, so many guys just qualified over and over again. I mean, your Van Dams, you know, he, he, I mean, Van Dam was fishing out of this – out of his mind, right? I mean, at, at that particular time, similar to like what Wheeler is doing Stout. right now. Mm-hmm. just just insanity right just total insanity and then you had you know guys like you know iconelli you know fish like 13 or 14 straight classics and and then you had you know like the evers of the world that fished you know 10 classics or whatever he had up to that point or the i, I remember tim horton had a huge classic streak there for a long time and and uh man so many guys i, I think it was they were qualifying 35 or 40 anglers to the classic at that time to the elite series mm-hmm. and uh dude it was 
brutal to get one of those slots. <laughs> I mean, freaking tough. Jared can attest. Good, <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be a good stat. And I've heard that. I mean, that that generation, right? Like as you and I talked about 10 percenters. I mean, there was a lot of 10 percenters in that yeah, field. Man. And that was a very stout time. And I agree. It'd be interesting to see how many anglers did not make the classic during that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. You start throwing in names like Hackney and, oh, dude, just just the list goes on. I mean, those guys were like shoe wins. I mean, we looked at it this way. I remember us looking at it like, okay, there's 50 checks in the Elite Series field and there's 100 anglers. Well, actually, there's only 30 checks for 80 anglers because 20 of them you could mark off the list every daggum turn. They're getting it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, it was really – there was, you know, there was a less percentage chance than 50-50 because I agree. 20 or so of those dudes were – I mean, they were just shoe-ins almost every time, man. Almost every, I mean, they would cash 8 to 9 out of 11 events, which, which wow. is insane. It's wow. absolutely insane. When, when I did my business look this year, it was like with, with the pro circuit. I mean, you had to cash. You you will have to cash with without sponsor help. Five out of six events to break even this year on the pro circuit. That That's uh, that's where the financial shape is for now. And I, and I know that, that they're doing a great job in running those events. They're going to get more media coverage this year. There's a lot of good things that are happening with the pro circuit. Sure. Um, I'm just going to step away and then kind of see how those things develop and, and kind of play with this other territory just because, as I mentioned before, just got to that fork. And, man, right. you know, in the past, I've, I've just been able to pick the right one. And uh, – <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping my mojo continues. <laughs> Dude, that's a that's a great way to go, and uh, I've always believed in following your gut with these these sort of situations. Um, so, man, wish you the best of luck, and I appreciate uh, excited it. Excited to Thank follow you. you into 22, 2022, man. Um, well, Kurt, man, dude, awesome conversation. Had a had a great time tonight. I really appreciate you taking the time out. We'll go ahead and uh, wrap things up. Uh, I will go ahead and link every, all of your information there at the Pro Bass cool. Camp as well as uh, your personal social medias and everything on the podcast as well as the YouTube channel. Um, but, guys, uh, check Kirk Dove's stuff out, man. Uh, uh, awesome, awesome show today, and uh, really appreciate you coming on. You bet. And, and if there's any follow-up questions, if you if you put them in the, in the comment on, on this, uh, on this um, broadcast, uh, I'll, I'll be sure to jump on and comment back. So if you got any questions for me out there, happy to answer them. And um, just comment on it, and and uh, I'll comment back and, and follow along. And, uh, man, I appreciate, Adam, you having me here. I really enjoyed it. It's been a great chat, good conversation. And uh, uh, I look forward, hopefully, sometime you'll have me back in the future. Absolutely, Kurt. You're welcome anytime, man. Thank you. Thanks for coming All right. on. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners. 
where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.